I think if there's one lesson that comes out of that for other moms is to yeah. actually make sure that you do keep your mind open to whatever's going to happen. You may not breastfeed. You may not have a natural delivery. Your baby may not look like you thought it was going to look. And it's having that flexibility. Welcome to Sense by Meg Forer, the podcast that's brought to you by ParentSense, the app that takes guesswork out of parenting. If you're a new parent, then you are in good company. Your host, Meg Forer, is a well-known OT, infant specialist, and the author of eight parenting books. Each week, we're going to spend time with new mums and dads, just like you, to chat about the week's wins, the challenges, and the questions of the moment. Subscribe to the podcast, download the ParentSense app, and catch Makia every week to make the most of that first year of your little one's life. And now, meet your host. Welcome back, mums and dads. It's awesome, as always, to have you here and joining me. I am Meg Fora. I am your host on Sense by Meg Fora, and it is always my delight to be able to share some information with you, to be able to answer your questions, and to really be able to touch on those subjects that come up in, the, in early parenting that are very close to your heart. And sometimes we have experts who come on alongside me and answer questions for me. And sometimes we have moms who talk about their journey. And today we have actually got a hybrid because we have an expert who is a mom. And I always love these chats because I get to speak to other um, healthcare professionals who have been very close to helping other mums who then become mums themselves. And of course, that's a whole other journey. And so today I'm super excited to invite Sammy to join us. Sammy Hammond is a feeding specialist. She's a qualified speech therapist, a lactation consultant, and a certified neonatal therapist who specializes in neonatal and pediatric feeding. She has her own practice in Cape Town, South Africa, um, where she works with a very wide range of children from very prim, tiny little neonates through to babies with breast and bottle aversion and all the way through to kiddies going to school who are picky eaters. She's absolutely passionate about what she does and she has been involved on a couple of things that we've worked on inside the ParentSense app and she loves being part of a multidisciplinary team where she can really touch parents and caregivers as they raise their little ones. And very excitingly, she has a new role and her new role is of first, as first-time mom to a new little baby who's 10 weeks old and that's little Kyla. So a huge and very warm welcome to you, Sammy. Thank you for joining us. Thanks, Meg. Thanks so much for having me. Fabulous. So I always love these chats with um, fellow professionals because when I became a new mom for the first time, I had been working with people's babies um, who had difficulties and I'd been practicing for a while. And then I had James and I thought, well, I'm definitely going to have this waxed. I know exactly <laughs> what's coming up. I know exactly how to manage it. And oh, my word, I'm not saying it was like this for you, but for me, I was deer in the headlights. Like what just happened? <laughs> how have you found the transition? Oh, Meg, you have basically mirrored exactly what has happened with me. Mm. I tell you, right through my pregnancy, I thought to myself, I'm going to have this waxed. I work mm. with babies all day, every day, from prem neonates to five, six-year-olds. I know babies. I know yeah. kids. Also, every, everybody said to me, oh, you're going you're gonna to be perfect. You know exactly what to do. Yeah. And then I had my own baby, and I was like, what is going on? <laughs> I was honestly, I was a deer in the headlights, like you say. Mm -hmm. I lost all my knowledge. Yeah, I had 
probably also put that pressure on myself that I'm supposed to know everything and that Mm -hmm. I work with babies and this is supposed to be easy. It's not supposed to be hard. And boy, was I completely taken aback by having my own. It's really it was nothing like a yeah, that I, I mean, expected. It's, it's quite crazy. And I'm sure that there must be professionals, I'm guessing, out there who absolutely have had it waxed. And I know that there are probably moms who knew absolutely nothing, who came from a background of marketing and have never touched a baby in their life, who have maybe felt not dear in the headlights. I don't know, maybe those people exist, but it <laughs> definitely didn't happen for me. And I can even remember, I'm, I'm sorry to tell you this, but when I had my third child, by then I had written three books and I had the Baby Sense Company. And I can remember an email came through to me from a mom saying, this is going to be so easy for you, wishing you all the best. You've published the books. So it's your third child. It'll be so easy. And let me tell you, Emily was a curveball. She really just threw everything at me. So I just don't know that there's ever a journey into new parenthood that's completely rosy and completely easy, if I'm honest. No, absolutely. I think that's the thing is each child is so different. Mm. And so even we see various babies with different temperaments, different sort of issues. And yet when it comes to your own, she's her own little person. Mm. And like you said, Emily, threw you a curveball. I mean, Kyla really threw me a curveball as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, tell me, maybe let's let's kick off there. I love to, in these sessions with experts, I love to try and frame what you felt that was useful from your clinical mm. knowledge as you approached um, parenting. I also like to have a look at some of the challenges that she's thrown at you. And then also some of the things that you absolutely delight in that has brought your practice and your theory into practice that you've loved. Yeah. So yeah, where would you like to kick off? Well, maybe I'll start by saying that I was convinced that Kyla was going to arrive a little bit early. So I was prepared from 36 weeks for the arrival of little Kyla. And she threw us a curveball from the beginning and decided to come in 41 weeks. Oh, wow. <laughs> where we actually, we landed up evicting her. She would have, she's a happy camper. <laughs> I had planned vaginal delivery, had to get induced, and then landed up with an emergency Caesar. So mm. everything that I kind of envisioned and thought how it was going to go went complete opposite. Mm. And then also I'm very used to frame sick babies in the line of work that I do. So generally they're quite sleepy and you have to wake up to feed them and probably like like quite a quite a few normal newborns too. But Kyla came out wide awake, eyes wide open, feisty as anything. And we did not have that two week drowsy period. She was full go from the beginning. And (laughs) so basically, that's how things started with us. I think my whole perception of how having a newborn completely also got thrown out the window, and we had to just adapt. Yeah, that's really interesting. So that brings to mind a couple of things. I think we all have this vision of what our babies are going to be. And actually, we've done some lovely podcasts on exactly this one with Carly Abramovitz, which is very worth listening to, moms. If you haven't heard that podcast, you must go back and listen to it. It was it was played towards the end of 2023, a couple of months ago. We had that podcast on. And that's worth listening to because she talks about this kind of romanticized dream vision that we have of our babies and what new mothering is going to be and how these curveballs are really sent to challenge us. Emily, my third, was also a cesarean section, very unexpected expected and um, my other two had been vaginal deliveries and that can disrupt you emotionally did you find that kind of threw your curveball on an emotional level I'm actually honest not really Meg surprisingly I thought it would my husband and I given the nature of my work we had said that if we need to have a Caesar so be it I had an amazing gynae who I had my full trust in so when she came in 
said to us, look, we're not getting anywhere with this induction and suggested a Caesar. We thought, okay, well, let's go with it. And I had an amazing, actually very beautiful Caesar. I had a theater full of, of females. My husband was the only male in the theater and it was all colleagues yeah. of mine. And we actually had such fun. Everybody was laughing and chatting and it was actually quite a beautiful season. So I think the fact that it happened like that for me made me not so emotional about the birds. I think you bring up a very important point there, and that is mental flexibility. I think it's one of the things that we know is very tied in with postnatal depression and emotional challenges after a baby is born. If we don't have an emotional flexibility or, or, or mental flexibility. And I think when we set out, and I was super A-type, so I had like this very, this is how it's going to happen. When we have a, like a, a very rigid plan, we are much more likely to have some challenges around because childbirth and child rearing early early parenting is just it just doesn't follow a plan you've got to be flexible so I think your mental flexibility the fact that you were super open to that Caesar was protective there and I think if there's one lesson that comes out of that for other moms is to actually make sure that you do keep your mind open to whatever's going to happen you may not breastfeed you may not have a natural delivery your baby may not look like you thought it was going to look and it's having that flexibility Absolutely. And I think it's quite ironic because I was so fine with the birth and then I struggled so much with that mental flexibility when it came to to the sort of newborn stage, especially Mm. with regards to feeding, because very ironically, I'm a feeding therapist and I really struggled with feeding. Tell us about that. So you obviously followed the theory of latch as soon as she was born. And then what happened? So she had a beautiful latch and fed right from the beginning, basically was at the breast, the first 24 hours, basically constantly on me and everything was fine at the hospital. And then as soon as we got home, I landed up getting almost what we call hyperlactation. So an overabundant milk supply. And I wasn't reading Kyla's cues properly. So I was just putting her on the boob the whole time. And we got into this vicious cycle, obviously, with milk production. It's all about supply and demand. So the more I was putting her on the boob, the more my supply was increasing. And this poor child was getting so flooded with milk. She had picked up an enormous amount of weight. Uh, She put on her back to birth weight within a few days. And she was so uncomfortable. And Mm. that for me was heartbreaking because I knew that me feeding her was making her uncomfortable. And eventually it got so bad that I couldn't look at things objectively. I think that's been a huge challenge for me as well as a healthcare professional is my husband also said to me, well, what would you tell the moms that you're seeing? How would you help them? And I just couldn't do it for myself. I think I landed up overthinking things and second guessing things. I think it's also because you know too much. So you have all the different sort of management strategies. And eventually I got a colleague who's also a lactation consultant to come. And I just said, please, you have to come and look at things more objectively with me. And what was her advice? So she actually checked, obviously, that Kyla was latching well, which she was. And then we actually did a test weight because we said, no, well, let's just see actually how much she is getting. And after two minutes on one side, uh, she got her full feed, basically. And she was still, she was at that time feeding for 20 minutes. And so we then spoke about it and we said, okay, well, what can we do about it? And we came up with the idea that I was going to then pump 
just for two minutes before the feed, just to get rid of that initial letdown and that like sort of gush of milk that she was getting and then let her feed and then do something called block feeding, which is a management technique for oversupply. And I mean, if somebody has oversupply, but baby's very comfortable and they're managing it, then it's totally fine. But you know, if baby's got tummy issues and it's not comfortable, then you do block feeding, which is basically just feeding off of one side for a certain amount of time. So I was doing three hour blocks to try and then manage the oversupply and kind of get a more manageable supply. And then I was doing a combination of trying to pump a little bit before feeds. And because Kyla is so alert and feisty, she did not want to wait for her food. So then I had a screaming baby. And also we tried every remedy on the market from Bennett's to Telemann drops to try and get her tummy to be comfortable. And eventually I also chatted to another colleague and she said, well, look, why don't you cut out dairy? Because cow's milk protein allergy is your sort of biggest allergy that a newborn or infant can get. So I cut out cow's milk and it didn't really make a difference. And then Kyla was also diagnosed with reflux. So I was getting the whole package. So the whole lot. Yeah. So I'd like to, I mean, you've mentioned a lot of little things there and I would like to just segment this all for moms. So a a couple of things, all babies are born with an inadequacy of lactase to break down the lactose in milk. And, And I think that's a very important thing to point out there. All milk, human milk, all animal milk contains lactose. So what was happening then for Kyla was that she was actually showing us Mm. that she was lactose intolerant, but it was normal lactose intolerance. It was completely to be expected because it was too much lactose, not enough lactase to keep up. And the body will make that lactase if you just give it enough time. But in the early days, there just isn't enough. This episode is brought to us by ParentSense the all-in-one baby and parenting app that help you make the most of your baby's first year. Don't you wish someone would just tell you everything you need to know about caring for your baby? When to feed them, how to wean them, and why they won't sleep? ParentSense app is like having a baby expert on your phone guiding you to parent with confidence. Get a flexible routine, daily tips, and advice personalized for you and your little one. Download ParentSense app now from your app store and take the guesswork out of parenting. The body will make that lactase if you just give it enough time. But in the early days, there just isn't enough. So the fact that you were feeding so frequently, and I think this is important to point out to moms, is that that was actually contributing to a very gassy, irritable tummy because Kyla just wasn't able to keep up with the lactose. So this is quite a common thing that we see with babies who are feeding very frequently. Now, demand feeding is so important. And my feeding journey was very different to yours in that I didn't demand feed because I was advised not to. And of course, that's very poor advice, but that's another story. So demand feeding is important, but there does come a point at which if you demand feeding and you are having very, very frequent feeds, so kind of hourly to hourly or feeding two and a half hourly, but feeding for an hour, your baby's actually getting a, maybe more milk than their tummy can deal with. And so it leads to babies who A, gain a lot of weight, B, it leads to a lot of milk production on your side, and C, it leads to this very unsettled tummy. And, and this ends up in a cycle because babies' tummies unsettled, they cry, we think they might be hungry, we feed increases our supply, makes them more uncomfortable. And so we have this cycle. So a couple of things about how to respond to that, moms. And I just want to just summarize what was said there by Sammy, because it's a couple of things that are really good advice. One is that we often do recommend cutting out cow's milk out of your diet, because it's one of those boxes that is easy to tick and it makes a difference or it doesn't. And it's kind of 
black and white. So in Sammy's case, it didn't make a difference. And she obviously threw that one out, but you can do that. Any other exclusions from your diet are not needed. I mean, people talk about cut out the broccoli, cut out the onion, cut out bread. I don't know, the crazy things. You don't need to cut other things out. That's the only thing that I would recommend as an exclusion. And then simple, before you start pumping off the full milk, is to start to stretch it, I would say. So you're block feeding, which would be three hourly, so push to three hours, and maybe just do one side. And for other moms who haven't actually test weighed their baby, which, by the way, is a controversial strategy anyway, but for those of you who haven't test weighed, just stretching it to three hours would be your first point. So first thing, cut out the cow's milk. Second thing, shift to three hours. And that alone is often enough to just completely sort it out. If that doesn't sort it out, then three hours and only one side would be exactly. And then after that, last line would then be the pumping of the full milk because it also depends like full milk, just mom. So I understand there's two types of milk produced by the breast. And the one is the full milk, which is super watery and comes first and is part of your letdown and quenches thirst. And then the other one is your hind milk, which comes a little later in the feed, which is much more fatty and creamy and sustains your blood sugar levels and is good for putting on weight and that comes later in your feed. Now, in South Africa going into summer, and now, of course, we're going to be in the peak of summer when this podcast is, it comes out, you don't necessarily want to pump off all that lovely full milk. So full milk, I would say, Sammy, I, I don't know if you would agree with me in that sort of line, like going along from the cutting out the cow's milk, stretching the feeds to three hours, feeding one side, and then only as your fourth line of defense, uh, pumping off the, the full milk. Would, would you kind of go along that route? Yeah, totally. I think that's a good sort of systematic approach. I think also just to touch on what's so important is for moms not to struggle on their own. So mm-hmm. if they are struggling with, with breastfeeding and whether it's an oversupply like I had or an undersupply or even whatever sort of issues that they're facing is to get in touch with a professional to help a lactation consultant or a clinic sister that they trust. Because I mean, look at myself, a lactation consultant needed a lactation consultant just to check things and that help is there. And I think that is such an important message is do reach out for help. And I have always been one of those, the loudest voices about lactation consultants, because I never moved without them. With all three of my babies, I had lactation consultants. I don't care how experienced you are. Even with my third child, I had it. Get them in. It's like 20 minutes, half an hour. They'll check the latch. They'll make sure. And then yups, you're on your way. So lactation consultants for me are completely essential. And they're kind of like doulas. I also believe in doulas a lot for helping with labor. I think they make such a difference. But lactation consultants, absolutely get them in. Totally. So your feeding journey started off a little fraught. She's 10 weeks old now. So we're not even thinking about solids. So thank goodness now that you've got your milk going, we can just focus on that. Um, yeah. Tell me a little bit more about her development. So have there been moments in her development when you've gone, oh my gosh, I learned about that in theory, but look at what she's doing. She's so incredibly brilliant. Tell me about the things that she's done and the milestones that have delighted you. Yeah, so that's been amazing, Megan, seeing what we've learned in theory. And also what I see with other children, that when it happens to your own, I think it's just so magical. And you kind of go like, oh, wow, she's done this. And then I quickly yeah. check and say, yes, 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 that is right. And it's also been amazing seeing my husband's reaction to it as well. It's such a, a unique journey for us. Like I say, it's not the same as when you're working with somebody else's child or advising somebody else on development. And I must be honest, you know, Kyle has reached a lot of milestones pretty much on par a little bit earlier. She smiled quite early. Um, she's been cooing a lot. When did she smile? Let's talk about smiling because that's the one. It's kind of hardwired that babies will smile at six weeks. But actually, you and I know that they do smile earlier. Yeah. So when did she smile? 
I think she was probably around just before five weeks. Oh, for f- between four and five weeks. And then it's also that, that oh, is it a wind? Is it a smile? But it, it was a, such a beautiful social smile and within context. So it, it, I was like, that's definitely a smile. <laughs> <laughs> and she's cooing a lot now. That uh, Yesterday she was sort of laughing in response to a video that Matt took of her where she was cooing. And she was doing this sort of like turn taking with herself. It was amazing. And we got it on video and I thought, oh my word, this is incredible. She's very, very strong. She's got amazing head and neck control. I've been doing a lot of tummy time with her. And so to see that come into practice, we always talk about how important tummy time is and to see her sort of prop herself up and look from side to side. It's just amazing. Yeah. Seeing all these developmental milestones and then using the parent sense app and, and looking at there's that beautiful guideline of what's coming next and I love that it's a range. You can say, okay, well, it's going to happen around this time. And then you get to tick it off, which is is great. And we did those ranges quite specifically. I worked with that with a physiotherapist. Her and I put it together. And we've done it as a wide range. And I think that's an important thing to tell parents is that development is – it really does happen in a range. It's not like babies smile at six weeks. Six weeks is – an. I mean, smiling is an interesting milestone because it is – there are only two milestones that are quite as – on date as that, and that smiling and sitting. Smiling classically happens at six weeks, sitting classically happens at six months. Mm -hmm. And it's really only a small variance on either side of that, that babies do. So early smilers would be four weeks. My middle child did smile super early, very unusual. And some babies will smile really late, like eight or nine weeks, but it's unusual. So smiling is really a milestone that is quite hardwired. And and that's why I call it hardwired because it, it happens at that time. Whereas other milestones, so you've spoken about cooing. Cooing is very variable. Some little ones are cooing soon after they're smiling, which Kyla is. Other ones, they won't coo for a while. It takes yeah. them much longer. So I think it's important for people to understand that range is there. What's also very interesting is that people often think that range codes for brilliance in that particular domain later. And I'm going to mm. give you an example of that. My son was a very precocious baby, advanced baby with his gross motor milestones. So he sat early. He was crawling badly, very badly. He crawled with one leg out to the side, but he crawled at like seven months and he was walking at nine months. Like wow. he, he was, yeah, it was, he was really advanced. Having said that, on a gross motor level, he wasn't the most coordinated kid on the field when it came to bowling and running. And, and so where you would think, oh, this is so advanced in gross motor, it didn't code for necessarily for coordinated gross motor skills. He actually did go on to be an exceptional sportsman, but not in a coordinated sport. Mm. It was was slightly different. So I think that it's very important to realize that just because your baby is very advanced doesn't mean they're going to be totally brilliant. But likewise, if your baby's slightly behind the curve, which some babies are, doesn't mean that they are going to be any less, it's not going to be a problem later on. What we do watch for is a cluster of problems. And I guess as a therapist or as a speech therapist, it would be interesting for us to know what are your thoughts on the clusters of things that you would be looking for? Like when would you be worrying about little ones if they had a cluster of what signals? I do speech therapy, but you know, my sort of area of practice is, is more on the feeding side of things. So I look at the things, the typical things like when they're starting solids, looking at their sitting, independent mm-hmm. sitting, head and neck control, how their solid journey is looking. So the progression of textures, if we're sitting with a one-year-old, for example, who's not sitting very well, mm-hmm. who's stuck on a single texture, 
those types of things is, yeah. is when your red flags go up yeah 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 absolutely yeah. and then obviously I mean from the speech side just in general is when you're looking a year and a half or like you said babies that are maybe not necessarily making sounds or babbling at like let's say a year we start looking at how's their hearing and you start asking questions and, and that type of a thing. Mm-hmm. Obviously, speech and language develops in like a stepwise approach. And then, then are you sitting with a two-year-old that's got a very limited vocabulary? You're going to start saying, okay, hold on. What's going on here? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. One of the things there, I know that you don't practice as a speech therapist, but one of the most important, absolutely critical early milestones is serve and return. And you mentioned that just now, that Kyla was already doing that. So maybe you can talk a little bit more about serve and return and what you've noticed in her kind of responding and you responding and taking turns in terms of early communication. Yeah, so that's also, that's an amazing milestone to have witnessed. It's just seeing her respond to either my husband and I, so whether it's, you know, smiling or doing some facial expressions um, that, you know, she'll then attempt to sort of mimic or you'll just see she may, she's making that connection. It's not just that almost newborn blank stare she's really noticing what you're doing and then like I say in that in the video we took yesterday my husband just took her I took a video of her vocalizing and cooing and then he was playing it back and she started doing it again as Mm -hmm. though she was just talking to herself and it was so incredible to see and communication is all about turn taking so when we speak it's we give and we we receive How, how do you do that like consciously what's going through your head so now she makes a noise what do you do so I think the important thing is to give her or to give your baby the time to respond. So it takes some time to auditory processing um, for that little brain and all the wires to to fire. And so I would say, and I'm often very bad at doing this, is I'll do something and I'll wait for her, but not for long enough. And then I'm like, okay. And then I'll say something else or carry on doing what I was doing with giving her the opportunity to respond and and the opportunity to have that turn taking is so important. And so now I'm just looking at every opportunity, whether it's making sounds or mimicking what she's doing when she's cooing, then see if she'll respond back. So it becomes a fun little game. Yeah. For everybody. Mm, Which is great advice. And I think what you're saying there, and I think if it's one thing that people take away today is to slow down because it takes them time to process. She's got to take it in. She's got to process it. She's then got to work out actually how to coordinate her response. So you really do want her to slow down. It's like when you're learning to drive a car, you drive slowly because your responses aren't there. You can't do a racing car, change yeah. of gears at the same time as you do in your feet type thing. And that's the same for little ones that have to learn and coordinate. And I think yeah. often in our fast-paced world, we're so instant gratification that we just expect the responses to come immediately. And so the one big piece of advice I would say to moms is to really slow down. And that means you can't overschedule your life. You can't overschedule their life. And then in the moment, just take a bit of time, take a deep breath in between each of your responses. Absolutely. And I think that's where those surprises happen. Like when you least expect it, like it happened to us yesterday, we were so surprised. And it wasn't just this go, 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 go. We were just chilling. It was a beautiful moment. And yeah, it's so important. I think we get so caught up in, like you said, the hustle and bustle of, of life today. Yeah. And we tend to project that on our children as well as, okay, they're not doing it. It's fine. Let's move on. Yeah. And then we forget to repeat it the next day also, because we just think that, okay, well, they're not doing it. Yeah. We'll leave it for now. Um, but it's amazing what they can do and already so young as well. 
Absolutely. Well, this has been an incredible chat, Sammy. I've absolutely loved it. And I'm sure our moms have as well. We're definitely going to have to do this again. I wonder if we shouldn't make it a monthly because I'd love to track her journey. Very interested in seeing the feeding journey through the eyes of a feeding therapist and some great advice today on overfeeding babies and, and how to manage that overmilk supply. So thank you very much for joining us today. Thanks so much, Meg. Lovely to have you. Cheers, Sammy. Thanks. Bye. Thanks to everyone who joined us. We will see you the same time next week. Until then, download ParentSense app and take the guesswork out of parenting.